Hi, everyone. Want to let you know as you file in, you are in the right place. This is the Safety and Health Magazine webcast sponsored by Intellects. Just going to give everyone a little time to get settled. We're going to get things going in about a minute from now. Hello once again, I want to welcome you as you file in, let you know everyone that you are in the right place. This is the Safety and Health Magazine webcast sponsored by Intellects, just allowing a little more time for everyone to get settled. Going to get the presentation started in about 30 seconds. Again, welcome and thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. 10 Incremental Ideas to Take Your Safety Culture to the Next Level, sponsored by Intellects. My name is Kevin Drulli. I'm an associate editor with Safety and Health Magazine, and we'll, we'll be moderating today's session. Thanks for joining us. In a few minutes, we'll start a presentation, but first, let's review some preliminary items. The views of today's speakers and organizations are their own and may not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not necessarily mean the council or magazine endorses those items. At the end of today's webcast, we'll conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, simply click the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, type your question, and click the send button. Feel free to ask your question at any time during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the question and answer session to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but because of the large number of participants today, we might not get to every question. Any unanswered questions will be forwarded along to today's speaker. At the end of the webcast, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey, and I'll let you know more about that after the presentation. This webcast will be archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, please visit safetyandhealthmagazine.com events. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Our speaker today is Scott Gaddis. Scott is Vice President, Global Practice Leader, Safety and Health at Intellects. He leads integration of the EHHQ Alliance in thought leadership and building partnerships with key clients and other top influencers in EHS. Scott also is responsible for the engagement of EHS professionals worldwide to provide a platform for sharing information and collectively driving solutions that mitigate workplace loss. Again, we thank you all for tuning into this presentation today. Scott, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. No, thank you very much. It's wonderful to be here, and I am... Uh... I'm actually calling in from Kentucky, so we just went through an ice storm and uh, safely huddled in my office here at, in my home. But it, it's wonderful to be with all of you that are uh, that are online. I'll, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop my video. I think it, it uh, certainly helps you uh, spend a little bit more dedicated time on the slides. So I'm going to stop that. But I just wanted you to know I'm a live person, a little more bearded than my uh, title slide shows. But uh, I, again, I'm, I'm just really happy to be here. So let's get started. Uh, what, what I really hope to do today, you know, and uh, I, I wanna preface this as I am a practitioner 
I uh, finished up uh, over 30 years as a practitioner with uh, Kimberly Clark Corporation, GE, Bristol Squibb, and then a company that was a spinoff from international paper called Covaris. I've had various uh, titles throughout my career, started uh, like many of you are maybe on the call today as a site level, level leader, and then I was a corporate leader for uh, safety and health for Kimberly Clark, and then the environmental health and safety leader for Bristol Myers Squibb. Uh, so I've had uh, quite a lot of uh, of time under my belt and a lot of things that worked well, some some that did not. And that's what I'm going to share today is to just basically speak to you as a practitioner, offer some key ideas and areas that I think uh, make a difference in controlling your safety and health program uh, to explain how gaining participation from uh, the worker leads to great employee partnership, and then share those 10 incremental things that add up, I think, to, to big performance and, and cultural gain. So I'm, I'm hoping it's something that, uh, that you'll certainly enjoy. Uh, before I, I get started, I do work for a company called Intellects. If you're not familiar with us, we build out uh, environmental health and safety software. And, uh, and now ESG software, uh, believe it or not, but we are a leader in the space. Uh, we rank up in the upper quartile of the green quadrant by Verdantix, which is uh, uh, really the chief business analyst uh, for, for our, our tech space. I think, you know, I, I'm asked this question quite often, why did you join a software company? I think it's because as a practitioner, I really struggled with, with information and getting information and being able to use information in a timely manner. So what I do for, for NLX, I still act as a practitioner. Uh, factually, when I was hired, they told me to stay on the uh, practitioner side of the software. So it means that I don't poke around and code and all those things. And I wouldn't know how to do that anyways. But I, I try to help make the product better for the practitioner. And when I say that, I try to make the front end uh, much easier for the practitioner to use. I try to connect uh, applications that make sense, you know, so we can share information back and forth. And then I try uh, my my big push, and I think in joining a company like Intellex was to get our product very, very close to the front line. And and uh, now with mobile devices, it's it's been quite a uh, you know quite a, an easier way to get skin in the game from the front line, right? So we're we're seeing a lot of people that are able to assist the practitioner in owning the process. So we're really happy about that. But I, I'm sure a lot of you, you know, who we are. And I'm gonna get started uh, right into how I think things are, are changing for us and then finish up with those 10 incremental ideas. I, I call this slide inter, inter, interchanging focus or ever-changing focus in environmental health and safety. I didn't start in the 70s, but I certainly started in the very late 80s. And, uh, you know, we were starting to see a lot of things happen in our space. And some of you know this, I mean, behavioral uh, based programming was was becoming a, a norm. You know, we started seeing some of those changes. And then in the 90s, uh, because of technology, we started seeing knowledge and capability training and capability development uh, transferred using new methods. And that was the, you know, was was technology. In 2000s, with the introduction of, of really the internet, we saw us layering all of these things happen, you know, and to mitigate risk. So we were employing everything that we knew, compliance, we, we were talking about behavior, we were talking about capability development, and we were looking for, for risk mitigation to deliver some of those things, right, and errors in, in the work process. And some of us call that HOP, right, human and organizational performance. A big leaping point for us now 
is this thing we call industry 4.0 and and you know that describes this fourth industrial revolution that includes cyber physical systems uh, the internet of things cloud computing ai mi all of those kind of things that you're hearing buzzwords around and if you're in manufacturing uh, if you are not employing that you're seeing it employed around you you know with assets with machinery and equipment it's starting to uh, to invade your, your space as a practitioner. I think a couple of things I would also point out is that we are now seeing in the workforce a large majority of digital native workers. And that means millennials down who basically grew up with a device in their hand. So think about that, right, is that they've learned through a mobile device, most of the time through a social media outlet, what they understand. And that affects the way they train, that affects the way that they want to acquire knowledge. It really even affects what they expect to see from you in the organization. So a lot of that going on in our space right now. And then of course, the generational shifts. If you were to ask me pre-pandemic, you know what this meant, I would have told you a different story. Because what we were seeing is that we had uh, an older workforce that was staying employed. So it was very common to see 65, 70 year old employees staying employed. And that was because of the downturn in, uh, in the mid 2000s, right? 2008 with the housing market, uh, we went through a bit of a recession and a lot of folks you know, lost or, or minimized some of the retirement, so they stayed. Uh, we are seeing some of the older workers leave the workforce through the pandemic. They became very frustrated and, uh, and they left. However, there's a resurgent, right, of even younger workers coming into the workforce, and they even, um, you know, are, are pretty challenging in, in what they expect to see uh, in relation to safety, you know, a lot of different things than maybe what you had, uh, had come to know in, in, in future uh, generations. We did a survey, and, and maybe this is the free part of, uh, of the presentation, but I, I want to ground you on this, is that we, we commissioned a, an independent research group to survey 450 uh, safety and health and, and ESG professionals across uh, North America. We did this last year, spanned about 17 vertical sectors, and we tried to stay uh, to those that were being led by corporate or business or large site level teams. Uh, we actually did this in Europe, so we, we have another survey. I would say that the conclusions were about the same to the questions that we asked. So I'll, I'll just use this particular one. But what we discovered is that ESG is really having an impact on our work as EHS leaders or health and safety leaders. And, and we are going from a very critical uh, part of, of the process to a strategic uh, business need, and we're being looked at much, much differently. So we are seeing uh, safety and health and environmental practitioners kind of lofted into a new space that they've not been before. They're landing on leadership teams. We're being asked to control more things. And because of the pandemic, you saw this because we simply know more about risk management than just about anyone in the organizations that we serve. Uh, the digitalization of business process related to EHS and ESG, that continues to be a big opportunity for improvement. And of course, as I've said, is that Industry 4.0, it's presenting a lot of opportunity for, for novel solutions to age-old challenges. So we're seeing technology used much, much differently to finally kind of get rid of some of those challenges that we've had. And then, you know, there's still a, a large need 
to focus on the basics of uh, of safety management and, and work culture. And and I'll, I'll prove that just in a, in a couple of slides. We we did ask questions, you know, and and I'm going to speak directly, you know, from the biggest challenges uh, in in health and safety. So I'm going to talk about that that large purple box. And then that, that small orange box. And then I'll, I'll tell you, there's a QR code at the top of that slide. If you want to snap it, uh, we'll send you the full report. So it's a great report, actually. It gives you a lot of information. I just don't have the time to do all of that today. But there does seem to be a lot of challenges to, to overcome. Uh, what we were hearing you know, from a, 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 a top priority of our respondents is, is that uh, we believe that safety and health is a top priority on our organization. However, uh, on that objective, it's been basically lackluster. So the respondents were citing a lot of lower maturity related challenges. So they have things in their work system that they just can't overcome. And, uh, and some of that, and I'll share it in the next slide, is cultural, right? So incident prevention, still a very top focus. Data reporting, still the number one challenge. We still find uh, a lot of people with data laying everywhere. And I've got, what, over 250 people online. If I were to ask you to raise your hand, many of you would say that. You know, I know it was, was my biggest challenge. And then most believe that a high level uh, health and safety maturity will lead to a competitive difference when we compare ourselves to each other. A desire is not translated into action, you know, for most of the respondents. So we have a, a tremendous amount of group of practitioners that want to do more, but they're being stalled or they're being hampered by lower investment into health and safety programs. I think, you know, one of the things I would call out in that, that orange box, the number claiming a need for significant or notable improvements in the prevention, the reaction, the reporting, the tracking of investigations and analysis, it never dropped below 60%. So if you were to ask me maybe 20 years ago, what was my chief problem? I would have told you a lot of it in that, that yellow or orange box on, on your screen. So, you know, we've not really overcome some of those, those issues. In the next slide, and I know I'm taking these, these fast, but a key thought, I think in looking through all this data that we collected, it's quite apparent that, that there's still a tremendous amount of room to better the, the, the culture through safety partnership. And, and again, that large red box, the summary of this slide says the results on workplace relationships are also not very clear cut. 37% creating a culture is one of the top challenges when asked to rate what their working relationships are in their organization. A large majority, 86% of professionals reported that I have good, solid relationships with the people that work in my organization. But the implication is, is that culture is still a struggle, uh, but working relationships are pretty solid, right? So we, we have good relationships, but we're having just a bit of a problem trying to get the culture that we really, really desire. And then I, uh, I would also say, you know, despite citing, you know, creating safety culture as a top challenge in the next 12 months, it still takes, you know, uh, less priority than, than ESG. And, and I say that because I think it's going to be uh, invading, if it's not, or evading, invading your, your workspace, whether you want it to or not, because our senior leaders, they're, they're, uh, they're being asked, right, or demanded, that they, they pull in line with some of the EA, ESG criteria. And that has really started with environmental work, but it will soon kind of lean into the social pillar of that, which is safety and health and, and culture. Uh, also, you know, majority respondents indicated that they do believe that their C-suite is very involved in safety. They, they value safety. However, 
35% say it's pretty disjointed, right? There's still an ineffective process and uh, with management or, you know, reporting issues. And then that purple box, this is the one I would really love you to focus on. Uh, I call it out, you know, uh, amid all those other questions, because I was kind of stunned by this. As a practitioner, you know, getting information is what I really need to have in changing the work system. In the last 12 months, this was a question we asked, only 4% of the incidents reported were near misses. And it's just another indicator that most organizations are not embracing this culture of safety or anecdotally, right? Uh, we just don't see it as a chief value. So maybe we need to position it just a little bit differently. So as I, I kind of share this slide, and, and there's a multitude of, of cultural models that many of you are, are quite familiar with. I'm not saying at all that this is the best one or the only one that works. Uh, for many of you, like it does for me, it kind of looks like the Bradley curve, you know, if you're familiar with that one. But with that said, I do believe that there's this evolution of culture in every single plan or every work site or even differences between shifts or work sections or even crews. So it's something I, I like keeping things very, very simple. The model on this slide describes the role that safety plays in the culture of the organization uh, in phases zero to one you know, safety is simply not present, you know, in the organizational culture. And, and uh, in an as an organization evolves to phases two and three, a culture becomes, uh, you know, it comes into their stream of consciousness, right? It becomes a priority. Uh, I know that I need to protect myself so I don't get hurt. All of those kind of things come into play. So they're starting to understand that, uh, that safety is, is, is important, right? And culture is important. And then not until the organization evolves into phases four and five, does that concept of safety become organizational culture? And I think the key is, is that safety transitions from being priority, which I think is reactive, right, to the part where organizational value systems, a proactive, is where, you know, we want this culture to live. Um, people, you know, public trust, quality, asset management, production, profits, all of those things are really, really clear values when it comes to how the organization values its culture. And, and I've, I've often said an anecdote I would share with this particular slide is that I've always thought about values and, and safety as a value as one of the things that we care about, right? Because when it comes to saying, well, that's, that's our only value, we always lose you know, that debate. So I'm okay personally that quality is a value, that asset management is a value. You know, we've got some important things there to, um, you know, to, to think about. But an antidote that I would share, and, and I, I noticed this in, in my facilities, is from my time running uh, site-level facilities, when production ran well, when quality was good, when downtime was controlled, we simply had better safety performance and people felt better about the work that they were doing. And I, I, I think it's this, it probably says that if there's less interface, right, with a with production or the service stream, the better we are at unplanned uh, interface, you know, uh, the better our performance will be. So it stands a reason, makes makes perfect sense, I, I guess, to me. Um, so I, I, I hope, and, and again, I'm going to share these slides after so you'll have, have um, the ability to look at this much deeper. I, I think I was sitting through a um, um, uh, maybe a session with uh, with Todd Conklin, 
And I think he said this, right? Great performance is not the absence of errors. It's the presence of defenses. And many times, right, for the practitioner, we'll go directly back to, well, let's, let's get better uh, physical control of the environment. But I think that's just one part of it, right? And we're going to talk about what maybe are some of these other defenses that we should consider. I'll also kind of share this with you, too, is that there's also a multitude of, of safety management models to explore. This is one that I've leaned on to build a program and again, what I think is better uh, process control. It's called the BIRD uh, loss causation model. And I've used this in a way that moves my culture in a direction that I, I want it to be. I, I, you know, some of you will remember, right, I know when I was in college, we even studied the Heimerich uh, system, right, the domino theory, the domino model that considered the direct management relationship with the causes and effects of how things happen. This bird model shows a multilinear thing, right? So there's a cause and effect sequence, but it can happen, you know, in, in a cyclical way uh, versus how Heinrich thought about it. So in this case, you know, there's a lot of variables or errors that the result in a, in a reason or a result type of relationship. So basically, this is really how we start to think about human and organizational performance and starting to get focused to where within that management system, we're losing this culture. Um, so, you know, that's, uh, you know, maybe free for you, but here's where I, where I really want you to, uh, to, to, to really start to work on your culture from and, and, this is what I call the pre-context steps, right? The, the immediate causes of accidents are these circumstances that happen, right? So we, we frequently call these uh, unsafe acts or practices or unsafe conditions. I tend to call them substandard things, right? So substandard acts or substandard practices, substandard conditions. This is where we start to see errors within the safety management systems where the errors are armed and they're ready to occur. And then they begin telling that story, right? When we activate that particular error, right? So, so there's a lot that we can learn from immediate causes that we see, but it takes you going in and looking and saying, what does that mean in reference to the culture that I'm really trying to, uh, you know, to, 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 to make better. So, you know, some of those failure to warn, failure to obey the rules, failure to follow procedures. Our question should be why, why are they not following procedures or why are they not following rules or why are they not, you know, wearing PPE? The second one there is conditions, you know, inadequate guards or barriers. Why do I not have a guard? Why, you know, has that guard been taken off? And then we kind of get into that next bubble there called direct causes. I call them direct. Some of you would refer to them as root causes, but there's two sides of that. My personal factor side of this, am I capable of doing the job that I, I have to do? Is there stress? Am I going through a divorce? Do I have enough money in the bank? All of those things make a difference in the culture and how people act in the workplace. Job factors, you know, do I have a good leader, you know, that I'm talking to on a daily basis? Do we do good purchasing? Am I wearing the right PPE or the cheapest, you know, PPE? All of those things, again, affect the way that I feel about the work that I'm doing. But really, the, and I should have drew this, this bubble bigger, right, or this circle bigger, it's system controls. 
control is, is where most of our preventive work is found. And it's essential not only to process robustness, but it's how we gain, I think, the cultural gains that you're looking for. It's how we function uh, within an administrative approach. It's, it's the production, you know, that we do in our plan. Are we controlling that? Well, it's uptime where it should be. So it helps the culture. It's quality good. I'm always going to have to, to go to a case packer and, and manually unload a case packer, right? Versus a, a robot being able to do that. All of those things, right? Change the perception of how an employee encounters his workspace. So, you know, the safety and law system, and I'll talk about this, is there's there's three big areas, I think, within system control. It's an inadequate system. It's a safety and loss control system that you don't have enough activities in. So if you kind of look at your management system and say, I'm only going to choose to do three of these 43 elements within your system, you're probably not doing enough activity, right, to control the overall uh, management system. So it really requires us to, to go into the management system and say, what are all of these gaps that I have and how do I fill those? Uh, the other side of that is an adequate system standard. So we, we, we have, you know, elements of control that we've identified, but we've not built enough uh, standard around those things to, to have adequate control. And think about these. Do I have the right policies? Uh, do I have the right procedures? Are they simple? Are they too complicated? Do they change the behavior in the workplace in a negative way? All of those things, I think, matter. And then finally, uh, you know, inadequate compliance with those standards is that uh, do I have existing standards? Is there a reason that we're seeing a lack of control? And then, you know, to sum all this slide up, correcting these three really kind of common reasons for a lack of control is critical. Uh, and it's a, it's a management responsibility, but it does change culture, right? Again, you kind of go back and, and we think about it this way is that what do my employees expect when they enter into this workspace? Are they expecting a safe place to work? That is a cultural change. So this is, this is me. I, I said this, uh, gosh, years ago, I, I was speaking to a brand new set of, uh, of new safety and health leaders. They were coming right out of college. I had about 35 of them in a room. And one of them asked me, what do you think the most important job that we do as a safety leader? And this popped out. You know, and uh, I, I said it a little bit more crudely than I do here, uh, a vital and possibly the most important job for safety leaders is to leverage the behaviors of employees to make correct decisions by removing the variables from their work that drive them to make wrong decisions. Now, kind of think about that, right? When you get up in the morning, when I said this, I actually did, took that word leverage and I, I put the word force in, right? So when I get up in the morning, what I want to do, right, is really kind of force the employees that are under my care to make correct decisions by, by removing all of these things outside of their work, right, that come into their work and allow them to make the wrong decision. So that really is, is, our, uh, is our role, I think, a lot as uh, safety and health leaders. And what it says is, is that we are, are risk managers that work in error controls. We want to take all those errors out of the work system that allows them to make uh, wrong decisions. And it kind of forces or it leverages them to make the decision that you really wish that they would make, right? So we make it hard, you know, if we can for them to make a bad decision in the workplace. I, I know that says a lot and I could speak on this particular slide for hours, but I won't, you know, uh, but, you know, just kind of take it for, for what that is. So now we're, we're kind of maybe down to the, the, the fun part of this is let me preface 
these next slides by saying these are not the magic 10 things everyone must use. I'm just asking you to consider this section as a litmus test, you know, to tell yourself I've got that covered or it's not needed or maybe that's something that I can consider. I would also say that possibly these are my top 10. I, I've employed, you know, as I you know, was able to see culture change in my facilities. They're not easy. However, they're not overly complicated. They didn't require ample urgency uh, for capital investment. But I will say that they do stem from my time leading site level manufacturing plants. And then I carried them on, right? So as I was promoted and took over organizations, I, I employed them all. So this was a litmus test for me as I visited my facilities. I really like simple things that are easy to understand, that are easy to get value around, and that they're somewhat easy to employ. So again, I'm not an academic, I'm a practitioner, and uh, I've employed a lot of stuff and learned from a lot of, of, of cultural leaders in this space. And I probably have 30 things, but maybe these might be the, the top 10 that I've enjoyed uh, implementing. All right, I, I'm going to get this one out of the way because if I don't, someone's going to say something. But I think you, uh, number one, right, you've got to ensure regulatory compliance. I think nothing can change culture uh, in a more negative way than working in an unsafe environment. So ensure regulatory compliance. Uh, it's table stakes to cultural change. It's the responsibility to uh, of you, and it's it's responsible uh, for employees to expect a good, safe place to work. If the workplace is not safe, um, I, I'm not quite sure you're going to get the culture that you, you really want to have. And that is different. You know, I, I spent a lot of time in the 90s listening to behavioralists tell me that it didn't make any difference how unsafe your work environment was. If you had the right behavior, you could still do your work safely. Uh, the thing that, that was very resonant to me is that employees, they're always looking, right? And they're always perceiving what they see in the work environment. And they're looking for us, right? They're looking for the value that we have for them. So it's a pretty easy thing to know that if I'm keeping the workplace safe, they're certainly not gonna buy into all these other things that I, uh, you know, that I think are important. Uh, a couple of things I would point out here, a vast majority, 89% of working Americans say workplace safety is more important than ever. And we get this post pandemic, right? And we started seeing this change quite a lot. However, only half uh, believe their safety is extremely important to their employer. While 81% agree that executive leadership personally cares, so they're hearing the right words said, 64% uh, believe that their employer's approach needs to change. So it really tells us that we, we still have uh, a lot of work to do. I would also add, and I kind of said this earlier in the presentation, is that safety is more important to millennials and, and Gen Zers than it ever has been. And, and that's according to the American uh, Psychological Associations. Millennials have reported that personal safety is their reason for, for most stress in the workplace. And they are concerned about their personal safety. So when you're concerned about something, you certainly are not probably gonna get the, the, the uh, culture that you really desire. Young workers want support, they want appreciation, they wanna feel like they're part of something. Uh, this is new and it's a growing part of our workforce. They want feedback. They want reassurance. They want uh, support through upper management. They want to know that people notice them. And, and some of you know exactly what I'm saying that has seen this new 
uh, Gen Z and, and, and uh, you know, enter the workplace. So it's, it's a big challenge for us. But I do think regulatory requirements, it's a minimum standard, right? It's not our end state. And protecting the work environment through plan control is very critical, I believe, to success. So let me get that one out of the way. Uh, the second one, you know, how, how I've done this is that, you know, position safety and health as a key value in the organization. Safety starts at the top. I, I've never been one of those that said, well, it's a, it's a grassroots effort. Let's start it at the bottom. I, I've never been as successful when I started that way. I, I've developed macro systems, right, when I could not get the leadership uh, involved as, as I wanted to. But overall, you really do need to have your, your senior leaders very involved in, in the process. And it has to be a, a key value for the organization. It's a key value of every leadership member. So if you have a senior leadership team of 10 people, there need to be 10, right? That understand you know, safety and health and has a value. It's demonstrated from leaders in both word and deed. We have them write about it. We have them talk about it. We have them do walk-arounds to talk about people, not just about their safety, but to establish relationships. In my time, and I'll use you know several examples, uh, when I was a plant-level uh, leader, I expected my senior leaders to do things like teach lockout-tagout training, to teach fire safety, to teach things that demonstrated that they had skin in the game. It made a multitude of, uh, of inroads when I was trying to develop the culture that, that really kind of said that we're all in this, right? We're all partners in, in the process. Safety is discussed at every leadership meeting in every organization that I've ever been in. I've always demanded that safety starts every discussion, right? So regardless if it is a finance meeting, I wanted them to have a safety moment. Why? It just sets value for what we are truly about. Leaders are held accountable for, for their safety leadership. They have objectives. They're, they are measured on that. I, I meet with leadership teams. I meet with plant managers and vice presidents to talk about what objectives do you really care about and how do we apply that to your other senior leaders on your teams. It's in the operational fabric of the meal, right? It's not a separate line function. It's integral to every business activity. When I started in safety and health, I was on the back seat, back sheet of, of the organizational, right? Uh, part of, of, of the organization. Now I was on a leadership team, right? So I was integral to the decisions that we made and I was apprised a if we were doing a quality project or a capital project, they had a safety influence because I was able to share that. That certainly is, is a cultural change for us. And then there's a safety vision and a mission that aligns with the value for people, property and the work process. And I just, I just put this down. This was mine, right? This is, this is what I worked on. At, at one of the organizations I led, and uh, this happens to be back when I was actually a site-level leader, is that I, I clearly think that there's a reason to have safety vision, you know, and if you don't have one, I'm not quite sure how you land where you want to. So this one is mine. You'll have access to it. Uh, I would say that you need to craft your own, you know, that, and I, I think you have to use people to do it. So it's not an activity as a safety leader you do on your own, Right. So this is, is, I won't go through this, but you can see 
that uh, I set a vision and then I set, you know, what is my criteria in a way, right? It establishes responsibility. I focus on eliminating things that promote injury rather than just meeting a bunch of regulatory requirements. And it establishes team and individual accountability to confront and eliminate unsafe behaviors and conditions, right? So I, I just threw it out there is that this is not a one-off occupation, right? This is us. This is your team acting a certain way. This is you as an individual acting a certain way way and then right communicating that and why do we want to do that so i can get you home every single day not injured or not ill and that we protect right the uh the process and the product and all those things that we care about in the organization so i i think positioning safety as one of your key values in the organization is really really important if you want to have the culture that i i want you to have Three adopt safety principles. This is a slide that I could again talk about for hours, but you know, workers are going to come upon daily tasks that they just don't have specific work instructions or safety procedures. I also found this out when I was a site level level leader. We we brought in a, a new plant manager, and he really challenged me. He didn't like me doing rule books and, and having proceed. He didn't like that at all. He really wanted me to test everything with a principle. Can they simply do this job without a principle, with, with a principle? And really what he was saying is, is that, you know, there's going to be a lot of stuff that we cannot do with rule setting. You know, so safety principle means I've got to know that work. I have to be trained on that work. I have to be capable. I have to have a skill, right? So safety principles really do encourage genuine involvement with a concise belief on how workers are going to protect themselves, how we're going to guard each other, how we'll stop work. And it's viewed, right, as the behaviors that are expected from the organization. And then I would say this is that uh, principles require discussion with every shareholder in the organization. And they should be few, but they should be be meaningful and they should be quite memorable. So again, you know, I, I'm going to share mine. This is exactly uh, how I led the paper business, you know, when I was a site level leader. And then actually uh, we adopted these when I became the corporate lead. But these are principles that are, are quite simple. Everyone knew them. Uh, I, I don't think we had anybody tattoo them, you know, to their body. But they're very simple enough is that any person, experienced or inexperienced, employee or not, must confront unsafe behaviors and conditions. No one is authorized to disregard a warning. And then we would even challenge you if you did. Right. So if we knew that you knew something was wrong and you didn't stop it or you didn't confront it, you know, we would challenge you saying, why are you not you know, behaving in a way that we expect you to behave? Right. So we really opened up the gate to say we want to understand this information. And then we even expanded it, saying if you're a visitor in our facility and you notice something that we're not doing right, you tell us about that. And we even expected you to do that. We would give you what we call the yellow card and you write that out and give it to us and we'll go back and we'll fix it. So we were all about making sure that we had a culture of control. You know, we wanted to make sure our environment was was safe to work in. No one is expected to perform any function or accept any direction which they believe is unsafe to themselves or others or creates an unsafe condition, regardless to who directed that action. So if it was a president of the company that came in and asked us to do something, we had within our rights to say no. You know, that's not safe or it's substandard and that's not the way we do things. Uh, it, it was a very powerful part of our, our, our discipline and trying to understand uh, how to protect ourselves and then anyone. 
that feels that a process is unsafe, they shut down that process and they work with the appropriate team members to create a, a safe situation. So it really meant that I was running a paper mill or a paper facility that a paper machine runs about $100,000 worth of product in a 12-hour shift. You know, shutting that down costs a lot of money, but we certainly did, you know, when we felt something was unsafe and we would gather the right uh, amount of people around and we would make sure that we could create a safe situation and then continue on. Uh, I, I generated or, or I helped you know, adopt these principles, gosh, over 30 years ago at that particular facility, and they are still the same principles that they use today. They've never changed them. These are the three that work for them, but I would tell you it's an exercise that you should do uh, with every every member of, of your team. You know, every employee should be in, in, in meetings about this saying, what are our principles? What do we really want? And I'll, I'll promise you that it will be a cultural change for you and your facilities. Gap assess, uh, you know, the safety management uh, system frequently, you know, for improvement. Y you have a lot of data that's laying around your work site or in your organization that tells you a story. Uh, you should have a robust management system. And, you know, since I, 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 I think as a practitioner, I always thought that everyone just had one. Uh, but now that I've joined a technology company and I work with clients, I'm quite amazed, you know, by large companies that have fragments of one or they really just don't have a management system past a compliance led, you know, type of management approach. But I would say that, you know, if you want culture change, look at ISO 45001, look at ANSI Z10, there's all types of hybrids there. But gap assist those management systems and see if you see parts or, or elements that are gaps that, that you know affect the, uh, the behaviors and the culture of your facility. I, I would also say this, right, is that these are, are this is a particular slide I, I use quite often is that throughout my career, I really focused on four system levers that had a lot of value in leveraging the culture that I desired. We've discussed, you know, physical control of the work environment, but that also includes things like hiring. You know, how do we terminate people? When do we terminate people? What are the right policies to have? Are they simple enough? You know, what type of procedures are really needed for this job? And it's everything else that really within your work system does not look different. You know, when you get there at 6 a.m., you go home at 6 p.m., that's just your work environment, right? So that is a big lever in, in, in driving the culture that you desire. Capability and capacity, do my employees know and do they know how to do things? So skill and knowledge. Capacity is have I made space for them to give their knowledge and skills back to the organization? You want to see culture change? You know, empower your front line to, with capacity to give back their knowledge to the organization. That may be side to side with a coworker, but you may stick them in front of a room of people, right? And say, would you train us in how to run this particular asset? It is a cultural lever. Uh, management leadership, do you have skin in the game, right? Do you have skin in the game in the safety process or, or are you hovering above it? You know, working with management became a big part of my role is that I really needed to get them walking the floor, talking with people, building relationships. Uh, did they have skin in the game, right? And were they accountable, you know, for the things that I really cared about, which was culture, right, and delivering performance. So employee behavior, you know, do you know what your expectations are? Uh, are the supervisors engaging the people that uh, how they, they need to be engaged? Are you coaching and mentoring for the desires that you have in regard to culture and performance? 
The fifth thing is inspect for safety and health concerns. I know this one seems pretty, pretty simple, but inspect the workplace to identify hazards and compliance issues. Watch workers, right, as they do work to ensure that you're inspecting every area uh, that workers contact. And I, I, I can't say this enough. Utilize a checklist. Don't give a blank sheet of paper. Utilize a checklist to ensure nothing's missed, you know, so you can perform your, your, uh, your auditing and your inspections adequately. And then include workers in the process. You want to build a, a, a worker's comp competence, uh, get them involved in an inspection setting. One of the things that we're finding as a technology company, if we can put a defined inspection in the hands of a worker right through technology, it just greatly improves their participation in the program. And then they start uh, taking partnership agreements, right? So they start telling us, right, as, as a management staff, these are the things that you miss in that last inspection sheet. This is a picture of what good looks like. This is a picture of what bad looks like. And, and they start taking a more participative and partnership role in, in helping you leverage your, your, your cultural process. Six, train and develop uh, safety capability and skill and, and build out capacity. I, I've already referenced this, but I, I think uh, if, if you were to ask me one of the big levers that I've had most success in delivering the culture that I really wanted to deliver, it, it's, it's training and developing people. Uh, a skilled workforce, invest in workers to ensure that they are aware of their hazards, of course, in the workplace. They know how to control them, train them in safety procedures and rules, don't expect them to read something and understand it, uh, develop a, a knowledgeable and skilled workforce. Uh, I would point out a couple of things here that have changed for me. I love being in the classroom. I love training, but using macro, which is classroom training, and now micro uh, learning have been two effective ways to really delivering content the way that you want to. And again, through technology, it's very easy. You know, if I've spent two hours training lockout, tagout, you know, now I can deliver through a mobile device that do you remember that the red lock is for group lockout or the blue lock is my personal lock, right? You can really emphasize things that they need to know, you know, to be very effective in, uh, in how they do their work. Is that a cultural change? It certainly is. Again, you're, you're trying to develop partnership, right? That I feel that I own part of this process. I have equity in what we're doing here. I would say that you have to develop, uh, you know, safety and health resources. Of course, you're here, so you're you're continuing to develop. But uh, I, I meet so many, you know, safety and health professionals that never take a class. You know, uh, after they got out of school or got their new row, they just stopped, right? And they've been working. But you really do uh, have to to train those that are, uh, you know, are developing other people. And then uh, again, I would say this, develop a workforce that gives back what they know. Uh, workers have a complete set of skills and capability, and that should be harnessed. One of the big culture changes for me was that uh, I built organizational capacity chain, uh, plans that leverage the front line to, to train and, and to build skill in others. So I, I use them very, very effectively. And I actually built it into their hourly work plans, right? So they had time to, to give back what they knew. And that was a, a differentiator for us. Seven, encourage reporting and investigate incidents and, and close identified issues. Uh, you know, some of you look at this, well, is that really cultural? I think it is. You know, I, I think, you know, what is a shareholder? 
it's it's to build an understanding of who are your shareholders, who owns a bit of equity in the organization, who is my chief customer. So implement a good hazards observation and concern reporting system. Develop their capability with simple quantitative risk understanding. And and I'll, I'll kind of stop right here. A, a big lever for me was is when I went from trying to identify risk with with uh, subjective measures like low, medium, high, right? What does that mean? When I went to a more quantitative approach of saying, well, let's kind of score this, uh, that really was a big change for me and getting them to join me as more of a risk manager. So the ability to understand how to score risk is a really positive move to, to getting them to act like risk managers. And that in turn helps you leverage the culture that you really desire. So I can't stress how important that is. It's the knowledge and skill that you literally just don't walk away from ever. So think about as a safety practitioner, how you proceed through life. And it's easy to, to guess that you're probably always scoring risk. You know, if you've got a child and, and she's riding a motorcycle, you're, you're you're already doing risk management, right? So it, it becomes very intuitive or natural to us because uh, we're safety professionals. How about if you teach your employees some of that same thing that you know, you'll notice a cultural change in how they handle risk within the work environment. And then lastly, I would say this follow up on actions to close issues by eliminating. And then if you can't, right, be transparent. Not everything's gonna be easy to close out. And if you don't and they linger or they build a big long list, people stop acting the way that you want them to act in regard to culture. So it's important you know, to, to, to understand if we can't close things, I really need you know, to get back with that person. And I, on my uh, uh, loss control programs, especially in hazard observation reporting, if we were not able to fix, you know, something, my team was expected to call them, right? Hey, this is a, a capital expense item. It's not going to be closed for, for six months, but this is some of the, the things that we'll do now to lessen that risk, you know, to the environment. So be very engaged, but make sure that we're very transparent and that we're closing things that are quite important. Eight, think globally, right? Act locally. You know, look for best practices and forward thinking methodologies. I, I think really important. Always look outside yourself. Be calling each other. Uh, don't be afraid to ask and swipe, right? Steal with integrity and pride from everyone. Right. You can steal that if you like. But it's, it's you know, you really do have to look outside yourself and say, what are these things right that really can change my culture that someone else is doing? There's a lot of forward thinking work in, in this particular arena. And then I think you got to hamper it this way, though. You got to test it is apply what you think your culture can handle. Culture is different from facility to facility, department to department, crew to crew. So be aware of that, you know, develop plans that meet the needs of your work culture where it is. And then, you know, you can kind of move it forward. Uh, back again, you know, long ago, I was trying to do these fancy BBS programs, you know, as part of, of, of my work system. Uh, but, but I was getting a tremendous amount of pushback. They just didn't want to do them. So what I did, right, is I sat down with them and said, well, what would you accept? And I just simply had to change it, you know, a bit to, uh, to meet what their uh, ideals were, right? And I still got the same effect. So again, meeting with people, trying to understand, you know, where that work culture is today, and then you can move it forward, lay out your plan, communicate, and then let employees, you know, be a part of that process to help you decide.
offer with with a lot of expectation, uh, health and 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 safety uh, participation. You know, I, I guess I would say it this way: wiggle proof your safety management process. This again was one of the key things that I did that I saw. Uh, almost overnight success with is that embed key ambassadors to guard the safety and health process. This allows the management team and the workers to feel that they're leading, right, uh, health and safety. So I, I was making crew safety leaders for every crew, which many of you have. I was uh, correcting and, and making uh, inspection teams. I had crane inspectors, forklift inspectors, lockout inspectors, hot work inspectors, general uh, safety inspectors, all of those things. Did I need all those people? Probably not. However, when I deemed John Doe to be my chief crane inspector in this area, it gave him a safety and health job to do. He took responsibility, right? If I needed a fork truck trainer, I would look at someone else and say, this is your role. So basically what I was doing, I was enlarging the safety team and giving them just a little bit of work to do, but it gave them enough skin in the process, right? To say, I feel a part of that. Develop workers at trainers and facilitators, you know, have annual and quarterly and monthly safety objective meetings and talk with the people that are responsible for them. And then I, I think, you know, proving ROI to leverage safety projects and to eliminate or mitigate workplace risk, really, really important. So understand how do I communicate ROI to senior leaders so I get the funding that I want. And then, you know, lastly, I would say on this point, having a working safety and health committee that is comprised of all organizational levels. I think it's really important, but I would consider the most senior leader to own it or at least co-own the committee. You know, it means a lot. People see it, they perceive it as leadership value, and they will participate. You have to be very transparent in these things, but I would drive it that way. And then gain participation from everyone, right? Crafts, shifts, all kinds of things. Uh, you know, people say, well, I can only have four uh, people on my safety committee. And I always ask why, you know, why, why, you know? Uh, so you have to think about those things, right? What do I really want to get out of this committee. And then finally, uh, I'll kind of end with this particular slide, you know, celebrate wins, uh, even if you've had a few losses. And uh, I, I've been in that case, right? I, I can remember I was in a plant and if we went, you know, a year without an injury, we got a leather jacket or something. And, you know, on the last day of the year, somebody got hurt and we lost a leather jacket, right? You talk about demoralizing. And uh, I tell you what, it was in shambles for three or four months after that. People just didn't feel good, right? It wasn't right to be working for a prize. Uh, however, sometimes we got to kind of look underneath, you know, uh, what we were seeing. We had, what, 364 days of, of good, you know, uh, uh, performance and, and one bad one, right? So focus on leading performance and don't fear trailing indicators, leading and lagging indicators. Give us an understanding if the process is working. You know, so package uh, metrics to tell a better story of progress. It means a lot, you know, for employees to see that, oh, well, we, we're doing quite well, right, in a particular category, but we, need, we, can, we can improve here. And then the power of progress. I think is really fundamental to human nature of all things that we can do to boost inner work life. The most important thing is making progress right to meaningful work. So people do want to be involved in meaningful work. They just want to be a, a part of making sure that they, they can attach to it. So for the leader, this principle holds clear implications of where we focus, you know, our efforts. It suggests that you have more influence than you realize over how an employee feels, what their motivation is and how 
they uh, creatively, you know, kind of give you back work. And then knowing what serves to catalyze and to nourish that progress is a real important part of this. So, you know, I say it like this is celebrating is so much more to do with interpersonal feelings. It's how we feel about safety than an award. So it doesn't mean that that you don't grill hamburgers. Right. But it possibly means that you grill hamburgers to recognize efforts even when performance was not reached, you know, so sometimes we got to kind of look down below the waterline and say there was a tremendous amount of progress that we uh, we had this year or this month or this week. We just got to look for it. Right. So if you're building along a good, robust management system, you'll see some of those changes. And, you know, we all know that lagging indicators you know, they're not all based off of 12 months of work. Some of them are, are more lagging than that. So maybe kind of understand that. Um, I would, would kind of finish, and I know we're just about out of time, but saying again, you know, uh, I, I, I love, you know, I love being on a boat. I love to jet ski. And I've always been amazed, you know, by this tiny rudder or this, this nozzle that, that turns my boat, right? I, I think we can possibly think about these in these, these, 10 things that I've talked about, they're just small rudders. They're just very small rudders that, at least in my career, have proven to change everyone's perception of a safety program. And they ultimately built a more positive safety culture that I was really desiring. So think about them. There may be seven, there may be three things that you can take away from here, or you may have a full 20. But what are those small rudders that really kind of change the trajectory of what you're wanting to, to get. Uh, I'll just say that I'm, I'm willing to take questions. And then that QR uh, code right there, if you'll snap that and just join me on LinkedIn, we can continue the conversation. I, I'm always posting content and those kind of things, but I'm glad, I know we've only got four minutes here, but uh, glad to, to take a question if you have them. Well, no, excellent, Scott, great job. And no, as you say, we do have four minutes. We'll, we'll try to, to make the most of those. But before we do though, um, just want to let everyone know about that evaluation survey that we're asking you to complete. The survey will open in a different screen and uh, be provided after this webinar. Your input is very important to us as it helps us to improve our future webcasts. Again, if you want to ask a question, click the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, type your question and click the send button to submit. If we don't get to your question uh, today, it will be on, uh, it will be forwarded rather along to Scott. Um, with that, we'll get to the first question and it uh, kind of backtracks, Scott, to that that first idea that you explored today, and it asks, just what are your thoughts on one reason for difficulty with ensuring regulatory compliance being that employers perhaps do not care as much or value it as much because they simply don't understand their regulatory roles and responsibilities in OH&S? Yeah, I, certain reg regulatory, regulatory language is... is uh... You know, for us, right, as a lot of practitioners, it's, it's fairly antiquated. Uh, it's not simple. You know, there's a lot of features in regulatory language that are not simple to employ. But I, I think it, for me, as a practitioner, it always comes down to a value side from, from senior leadership. The senior leadership absolutely understand what we must do from a regulatory side of things and do I have the, the resources to do that it becomes my role as a practitioner to simplify things to make sure right that uh, we're not boiling the ocean you know uh, with, with employing regulation but to gain value from the things that we know that we have to do I, I would go back to that first slide and say this it's a starting point right if you're not getting much past regulatory uh, improvement you're not going to get much past of all these things that that I know all of us care about. So it, it is a set point. It's table stakes for us. 
but uh, you know, I, I have had a few senior leaders I've had a problem with uh, in the past of doing certain things from a regulatory view. And, and aside, you know, from uh, you know, from litigating that, I, I think you do have to have you know frank discussions about these are the minimal things that we are required to do, um, you know, from a regulatory side. Thank you. It looks like you know the, the beginning of this discussion struck a chord with another attendee, and and he says, "I still feel that leadership does not see safety as a value, as you demonstrated in the first few slides." So, yeah. what are some ideas? How might you motivate this leadership with um, that main focus being on production and maintenance? Yeah, I mean, we we certainly do see that change, especially on enterprise level organizations. So large, you know, organizations, we do see it, and, and we're seeing a lot. So I, I think you're going to see this change as we see ESG, you know, kind of enter our work because we're now publicly uh, reporting things that we do well and we don't do well. Safety is in that social pillar, you know, and and you're seeing a lot of this now with environmental controls right uh, emissions carbon emissions and and how we do some of those things you'll see it you know so it's going to happen however I, I would say this is i would do it the, the very way that i did is that i i demanded presence you know with the leadership team uh it, it uh, and and i know that sounds easier than or harder than it is but i i did demand an audience i i began having weekly discussions with plant managers i wanted to talk about things i was concerned about i wanted to to put forth a plan but but what you have to do as a practitioner, you can't let them wiggle off. You know, I uh, it's very easy for a senior leader to wiggle away from safety responsibilities. So you have to have things, you know, that keep their them, them involved. So things like objective setting, things like strategy setting, putting them in front of an audience to talk about a lockout tagout training, right, is, is a real important element of it. If you can include them and incrementally include them in bigger things, they do gain value. And you don't have to wait, you know, for a disastrous thing to happen before they, they get it. So there's a lot of influences that are going on here. You know, share my slide deck for one, right? That would be an easy way to do it. But I, I, you're going to have to have an audience, you know. And and for me, I demanded, uh, you know, a role on the senior leadership team at the plants that I I was at, and that was new for me, you know. But but they finally, um, you know, they accepted that, and and things started to happen when it when it did. Well, thank you. And and again, as we are running low on time, there are quite a few folks wanting to 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 get the slide deck. But just in in closing, any Final wrap-up thoughts or anything left unsaid for you, Scott? Yeah, I mean, culture is is a tough thing, right? I mean, uh, it, it takes a long time to get it, but it doesn't take very long, you know, to lose it. So that's why, you know, for me, I think it's more than a program. It's doing a lot of different things. It's doing some of these incremental things. But what you want to do, you want that organization to be so robust that nothing can take their culture away from them, right? And if you employ some of these things where you get more participation, you'll finally get partnership where they own it with you. I, I left one facility 30 years ago and that facility still runs as well as it did when I left it. So uh, so I know that some of these things work really, really well if you employ them. And I'm glad to have further conversations with anyone, you know, after this is over. Well, again, thank you. Unfortunately, we have run out of time today. Um, sorry we didn't get to everyone's questions, but all today's unanswered questions will be forwarded on to Scott. And, and as you've heard, Scott's indicating he'd love to to hear more and, and had his LinkedIn um, information as well and, and other ways to contact him. Um, once again, we hope that you take the time to fill out the forthcoming evaluation survey and give us your feedback. With that, we end today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. We'd like to thank Scott Gaddis, everyone at Intellects, and all of you who listened in.
Thanks and have a great day.